Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, your host. I started this podcast because I believe when we share our thoughts, our stories, and experiences, we help one another to create more meaningful lives. And I also think that an important part of life revolves around our search for meaningful connection. That seems to only happen when we get real about who we are and we authentically share that. So listen in, try to answer these questions yourself, and let's connect. Okay, so I'm so happy that today I have Pam Ginsberg with me. She is a psychologist who specializes in women's health, and she provides counseling to women and therapy. Um, and she, I think, and Pam, you can correct me when I allow you to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I think she specializes um, in helping women with cancer. That's right. Um so in a particularly harrowing irony, Pam was recently or not too long ago diagnosed with breast cancer. And so she has experienced um, probably something I would assume that she never hoped to experience. Um, but I would really like to actually start out with that. Okay. Um, so first of all, Pam, welcome. Thank you so much. Um, can you talk a little bit about why, first of all, you, this is your specialty? In other words, did you know that when you were studying to be a psychologist? Was this always your dream? So it was always my dream to become a psychologist. Uh, I knew that from a very young age, and I was very interested in family dynamics. So throughout graduate school, I studied family therapy, marriage counseling, and that was really my area of specialization. And when I did my doctoral internship, that kind of that last part of your doctoral program, I was working in a general medical hospital. And so they had a team that was really pretty new at the time. Nobody had really done this before. It was called medical family therapy, where they combined the medical part with the family therapy part. And so we developed this program in medical family therapy, where we were addressing medical issues in the context of the family, which was very interesting to me. And so then is when that's when I really started working with health issues and medical issues and whatnot. And as far as the cancer part goes, I have just Cancer has pretty much always been part of my life. I, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 14 years old. And, um, you know, so I had the experience of being the child of somebody who was going through cancer treatment. And um, it was just one of those things that uh, I had lots of relatives who had cancer. Uh, I'm Jewish and there's a higher incidence of cancer in the, in the East, um, Ashkenazi Jewish population. So lots of my, lots of relatives had cancer. And then my father um, got pancreatic cancer. My father, my, 
so my mother had breast cancer. She um, went through her treatment. She, she recovered from that. Then she had thyroid cancer when I was in my early thirties, she recovered from that. Then my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he died from that. And so that experience really changed things for me, you know, um, and I became very, very interested in the dynamics of cancer. And so that was about it was over 18 years ago when I really started looking more into working with cancer patients specifically and getting more training in that, um, more education in that. And so there's a whole field in my in psychology called psycho-oncology. And so that's the area that I really started focusing my attention. That is a actually so amazing to me, you know, that intersection of your career with your, with your life. Yeah. Um, so when you first received this diagnosis, would you mind sharing, you know, how you like handled this? Um, so I have been, I have always known that I'm high risk. My mother had breast okay. cancer. My father had pancreatic cancer. Um, I've just always known that I was high risk. And so um, when I got my diagnosis, which was in June this, of this of last year, 2021, um, I wasn't like blown away shocked. I was upset. Um, I had hoped it wouldn't happen, but it did. And because I was vigilant about exams and going to doctors, um, it was caught very, very early. Um, and so I knew that my prognosis was good. I also had the advantage, very distinct advantage of yeah. really knowing about breast cancer. You know, most of my cancer patients are breast cancer patients. It's what I specialize in. I know all the doctors in the area. Wow. I know the language. I know what to expect. I know what treatment looks like. I know where the, where the, you know, difficult parts are. And so knowing all of that was just so incredibly helpful because it took a lot of the fear away for me. It still kind of sucked, you know, to yeah, go through it. Um, it wasn't easy, but yeah. I at least knew what to expect. And the, the, the physicians I was working with our colleagues, you know, they're people I've worked with for years and years. And so I felt very comfortable um, with being able to easily find the doctors that I trusted. Wow. So did it, um, did experiencing this yourself, did it change for you, you know, the way you will approach your work in the future? Um, I'm not sure that it will change it. I think it deepens the understanding a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so, you know, it is one thing to know something intellectually and a different thing to know it personally. Um, and so my intellectual understanding of it was pretty broad. Um, but the personal, you know, having gone through it myself and feel, you know, having those feelings, you know, when you're laying on the radiation table, what it actually feels like to lay on that slab of metal while this giant machine is moving around you, you know, yes. to be in a chemotherapy infusion room and feel what that feels like. Um, so that deepening of the understanding, I think is helpful. I also think it's helpful to my patients to know that I've been through it um, yeah. and that I do understand it from a firsthand point of view. Yeah, it, it makes me wonder, like, I just think Pam, you're already pretty incredible as a human. <laughs> so I just feel like, okay, she's going to write books. 
I'm going to be following her, you know, like that's just, you're just, it just, to me, increases you as a leader in, you know, your field. Um, How about just in terms of not just lessons for your career, but did you come away from this experience with any life lessons or did it shape the way you live your life going forward? Um, I, I say it to my patients all the time that cancer changes you and it does. And it did. Um, and I think that, you know, I was very, very wrapped up in my practice and my career and very busy, you know, um, and I had to scale way back because I just didn't have the wherewithal to be able to see all of those people. And I've thought for sure people would be angry with me. I thought that they would go away and never come back and I'd lose my business and this whole thing, you know? So it really made me address the fear of being a human being, you know, rather than superhuman. Um, And so it changed how I'm practicing at this point. I'm not going back to the number of clinical hours I was doing before. It really was too stressful for me. I look back on it now and see that it was just way too much. I was just too busy. And, um, you know, I have a, I, I've always felt that, you know, we have, we live in a culture where we, we are told we should push ourselves as hard as we possibly can, you know, just push through it, just push, you know, right. achieve, achieve, achieve. And I'm not a big believer in that, you know, and I know that that's not a very popular opinion, but I I don't believe that that's the best path for everybody. And in fact, maybe it's not the best path for most people, but there's a lot of pressure to do so. And so we have to know where the boundaries are. We have to know that now I'm doing enough. I'm doing enough at this point. I don't have to just keep upping the ante all the time in my life. And so it really brought that home that I didn't have to just keep pushing harder and harder to try to keep up with the demand that at some point I can say it's enough. I have enough. And um, a big lesson because we do live in a world where busy, busy, not even achievement, busy is celebrated. Busy is like a badge of honor. Oh, it is. Right. Yes. Yeah, it is. So. so that is already kind of uh, an alternate view, but you know, um, where do you think your drive comes from? Just thinking about that drive that you have. Um, I don't know because I don't come from the most driven. You know, my father. My father was a very, very bright man. Graduated high school at sixteen years old. Wow. Um, he was just very smart, and he would be the first to say that he wasn't he he didn't have aspirations to achieve he what he wanted was to provide he wanted to be able to have enough to provide for his family and have stability and that was that value of of being stable was the most important thing to him and so of course i absorbed some of that and i really have a value of stability as well i like the idea of security and stability and um So, you know, I wasn't raised by people who were high, high achievers, Um, yet, you know, I have a brother and a sister. My brother also has a PhD and my sister has a master's degree. And so all three of us wound up with these graduate educations um, because I think what was emphasized was education. Right. Oh, that's interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. Where do you fall in the family? I'm the middle. You're the middle child. I'm I'm every bit of a middle child. Oh, that will be a whole show in itself. (laughs) I seek to understand. I am not a middle child. I'm the baby. And I, but I have, I have a middle child. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And they are just a unique breed. I was always the one getting in trouble. Always. What is that? What yeah, is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, Pam, when I think of you, okay, these are the things that I think about. I think about soup, homemade soup. <laughs> I, think, I think about football. Yes. You might not even like it, but I feel like you do. I do, yes. Um, I think about you're such a great friend in crisis because I know whenever I've had a crisis, you're like right there in a quiet profound, meaningful way. You're a great friend in crisis. I think you're very stylish. Thank you. (laughs) You always have nice clothes and nice shoes. (laughs) Well, thanks. I don't think I've ever Sure. It seems a little superficial. (laughs) Yes. Pam is smart. We get it. (laughs) But she's also stylish. Um, And I also think about the fact that you married um somebody's son (laughs) as many people do but I have to say your father-in-law was a big influence in in my life Barry Ginsburg was himself a psychologist and whenever I wanted to think about myself as a parent I would when I was losing it I would say pretend Barry's watching literally I'm not even kidding I would actually pretend he was watching me (laughs) wow that's powerful it got me through, you know? Um, but I think that's so interesting that his son, Danny, married a psychologist too. I just- So I'm that. married to Jeremy, not Danny. Oh, you married, or, well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Close enough, they're brothers, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's just fascinating to me that how did, can you tell me how you met your husband, Jeremy, not Danny? So um, Jeremy and I met actually on a Jewish matchmaker website. Oh my gosh. And he probably said, she's stylish. <laughs> she likes football. And she's a psychologist like my dad. Like my dad. There's a lot of psychologists in my family, a lot. So my brother is a psychologist. I'm a psychologist. Barry was a psychologist. Mindy, my mother-in-law was a marriage and family therapist. My daughter has a psychology degree and a business degree. We're just a bunch of psychologists. So that must make for like, really, I feel like you would all get along so perfectly. Like nobody probably ever, you know, well, none of us talk. We all listen. Right. <laughs> yes. I, well, I think that's so great. I, I love that. Um, I would be convincing everybody of every, I mean, I, I would have a field day actually. Right. <laughs> um, so what about your favorite things to do? I know I mentioned soup and football. Like what's a perfect day for you? So Sundays during football season is one of my favorite things. I love, I'm a, I just love soup. I think it's one of the healthiest, easy, easiest meals. So I make from the fall through the winter, I make a pot of soup every weekend. I just mix it up and make, throw some stuff in a pot and make soup. Um, and then I eat that for lunch all week long. So, um, and it's just like good, hearty, soul, full food, you know? So, um, 
so I soup and watching football with, you know, my feet up. I just, you know, I love a peaceful day. I, I love, you know, peace is just one of those things that drives me. And so there has to be time somewhere in my week for me to sit and relax and put my feet up and do something that I just plain enjoy. Um, and without that, I just feel stressed, you know, so I have to have somewhere in my week where I do that. I rarely leave the house on Sundays. Um, I just don't. What about um, rituals? Like, in other words, is there something you do every day before you leave the house or do you do something before you go to bed or do you have any kind of daily rituals? I meditate every day, uh, not a lot. You know, I meditate 10 minutes every morning and I tend to do it usually in the 15 or 20 minutes before I see my first patient of the day, it just kind of gets me centered and calms me. And, you know, that's probably my only actual ritual um, that's daily like that. I work out a lot. I work out usually about five days a week. And that really is just a stress buster for me. It helps me clear my head. Um, And, you know, as I'm even talking about this, everything is about finding peace. Everything is about just kind of finding that peaceful place for me. It's always what drives me. Yeah, I like sitting out on my back patio and listening to the birds. It's very peaceful. I like going for a walk at Peace Valley. It's very peaceful. Um, And so I'm always seeking that sense of calm, that sense of peace. What about, um, I like to ask people their favorites. Don't get too stressed out about it because I understand that what's your favorite today could change tomorrow. Okay. Um, What is a favorite book? Um, like fiction. So I have favorite fiction. Okay. I have yeah, favorite t- fiction. Both. Okay. Favorite fiction. My favorite book of all time probably is um, The Great Santini by Pat Conroy. Um, I just love all Pat Conroy books. I've read them all. I'm, I, I cried the day he died because I knew there would be no more Pat Conroy. So, um, so that's my I favorite. I always think of a therapist in his books too, actually. Yes, always a therapist in his <laughs> books, yes. <laughs> so he, that's my favorite um, book of all time. My favorite nonfiction, um, probably the most impactful book uh, I ever read was Night by Ellie Wiesel. Um, and it changed me. I mean, I read it, I remember reading it in college and thinking there's so much I don't know. There's so much I don't know. And then I started reading a lot of his books and I had the opportunity to meet him and speak with him at one point. And again, changed me. Um, He said he was lecturing at a um, conference that I was attending and I worked up the courage to go and talk to him afterwards. And, you know, I stood in line. I just wanted to say thank you, you know, to and that I respect him so much and that I appreciate what he's doing in the world. And we were talking about being a therapist or being a psychologist. And I was a very young psychologist at that point, uh, very green. And he said, what do you think the most important thing you do is? And I said, I guess, listen. And he said, the most important thing you do is that you bear witness. You bear witness to the pain of other people. And it's the most therapeutic thing a therapist can possibly do is to just be quiet and bear witness. And I have brought that with me from that day into my career of almost 30 years now. Um, 
I carry that with me into almost every session. That is powerful. And he is, I read night, I read night just because it was next in my list of books while I wasn't, my daughter was sick and was in the hospital for a long time. And I was reading that and actually it probably wasn't the best book to read in that situation because I was like, uh, (laughs) hoping for a miracle. Oh my gosh. Um, but it really was powerful. And he's just one of my favorite, uh, humans because he embodies what it, everything that is great about a human, you know, because how he can still have such gorgeous humanity in the face of his life just says that we all can then, right. You know, the fact that he can still love, um, you know, then, then we all can is, is what, so I can't believe you got to meet him too, Pam. That's really incredible. I know it was just a highlight of my life. Yeah. Um, so speaking of him, are there any other people you think of as, uh, inspirational people or people who you kind of look toward? Um, I think that, um, you know, I always think about people who did what they shouldn't have been able to be, to do like Nelson Mandela, you know, people who, just completely broke through whatever that boundary, you know, whatever block was placed in front of them. Um, So Maya Angelou is another one that I, you know, Maya Angelou is that became a household name when, you know, she, she would never have guessed that about herself in her younger years, you know, like, so people who kind of break through and face um, adversity, um, and do it in a way that's humble and peaceful and kind. Martin Luther King is another one I think of. Um, so those are the people that I kind of look to. And this may, um, be hard to answer off the tip of your tongue. So don't worry about saying, you know, skip this, Amanda, but do you have a favorite quote or any kind of a mantra or anything that you kind of, um, pops into your head or I don't think I have a mantra again it all comes back to peace for me yeah. and so just always finding yeah peace. you know I mean I I want to live a values driven life and so I am very closely connected to what my core values are and those core values help me to make decisions in life when I'm in a sticky spot and I don't know exactly what to do if I can kind of come back to my little list of core values, I can usually figure out, you know, how to make the decision that's aligned with my values. And I know that if I can do that, it's the right decision. Um, And it's often the harder decision. It's often the harder path, I should say. Um, But, you know, like peace and being a good friend, being devoted to family, those are the things that are my core values. Humor is a core value, yeah. of mine, right? And so yeah. I always want to keep a sense of humor. I always want to keep things a little on the lighter side. I don't like when things get too heavy. You know, it's it ruins my peace. It ruins my peace of mind. I agree you know? with that. I so agree with that. And I don't even understand it fully because I feel like humor is and joy and fun to me are so important. Yeah. And I... I don't know. They might be underrated. 
but I do find that they help us all kind of, they help us get through things, but even more than that, they're a look at the world because, you know, we're all pretty funny and the world, you know, it, it's all just kind of humorous when you step back and take a look, you right. know? I think of the people um, that I love the most, you know, the people that I'm closest to or the people I've loved the most in my life, they're all funny. They all have yeah. a great sense yeah. of humor. So, yeah. 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 Um, so what about, what does your day need to contain for it to have been a good day? Um, that is a good question. So it, a good day includes exercise. Um, it just sets me on the right path for the day, puts my head in the right place. Um, I do that, my little 10 minute meditation. Um, I think a good nutrition day always makes me feel better. I'm just a person who is like, a, I do a low carb lifestyle. And so if I stay on track nutrition wise, I certainly feel better at the end of the day. Um, and, and I think, you know, my day has to include connection of some sort. So connection to a friend, connection to clients, connection to the business community. I like when I can like have a part of my day where I'm connecting with others. And then there has to be a part of my day where I'm, where I'm winding down. I need that quiet time every day. Um, I really crave that quiet time. I like to be outside um, just again, among the birds and regardless of the weather, I like to be outside. So that's, that's always part of my good day and if there's soup and maybe a nice glass of wine at the end of the day I'm good <laughs> very nice I was going to ask you your favorite meal but then I didn't need to um what this is my favorite question I'm going to ask you because I can't even picture it but what irritates you you can't even picture it trust me no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the things I can't stand is pretense, you know, people who are pretentious. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I, you know, I am a pretty down to earth person. I don't like pretense. I don't like the, I don't like having to think about keeping up with the Joneses. That is not me at all. It just is not how I want to live my life. And when I'm around people like that, I'm irritated by them. Um, so any kind of pretense like that is not you know, and I don't, you know, what I call blowhard, you know, that personality yeah. where whoever it is, they've done it bigger and better than you. They know more, they, you know, that kind yes. of personality irritates me as well. Yes. I wonder what you would do if they were ever your patient. Well, they have been, <laughs> you know, um, that's when I get a little Ellie Wazelle in my head and I think, yes, this person has experienced pain too. And I need to understand that, you know, wow, that's, well, that's great advice for all of us. Yes. You know? Um, so Pam, what are your, um, you know, what are your hopes? What, what, what do you kind of hope for your future or what do you hope your future contains? Well, I definitely want to retire from my clinical practice. I, um, feel like I'm getting close to that. I'm getting close to that time. Um, I, I don't know what I'll do with the rest of my career. I've thought about writing a book. I actually have kind of a whole book written in my head. Yeah, um, write it. Yeah, maybe I'll That's do that advice. after I retire. Um, but I, I like to lecture. I like to give workshops and um, 
programs. And so I might continue doing that kind of thing, especially in the cancer world, um, you know, if I can be of use in that way. But I'd like to, I'd like to scale down from the clinical practice, the hour to hour kind of clinical work um, at some point. You could have a podcast. I could saying. have a podcast. I'm not, mm -hmm. I don't know that I'm techno savvy enough. Oh my gosh, Pam. It's so easy. I will show you. Okay. <laughs> you literally hit record. It's okay. so easy to have a podcast. <laughs> you have to set it up somewhere in the ether. I don't understand any of Oh this. my gosh. I'm going to show you. It's super easy or else we wouldn't even be doing this together okay. because I, I'm not super techno either. So, um, and then what do you wish you could make people do? Is there um, one thing, if you could just change one thing that people either think or do, what would it be? So, you know, we're in a very, very difficult political climate right now, very difficult. And it has become very clear that we have forgotten that we're neighbors and friends. And we lose our common humanity when we forget that. And so we don't have to agree on everything, you know, and we're not going to agree on everything, but I would really like us to come back to the understanding that we can still be neighbors and friends uh, with each other and not necessarily see eye to eye on things. Um, and I also think in this political climate, everything is political and I, I don't like it. I, I just find it to be very um, narrow-minded and um, diminishing of people and relationships. Yeah, it is a tough. It is a tough time. Um, I I think. Well, I mean, I've only lived in this time, but. And actually, when I think back on it, see, I can argue with myself. That's why I don't interview myself, Pam, <laughs> because, you know, it's always a, a difficult time. And part of what where I think we might be is that we might be seeing what is within. I don't know. And maybe we're all kind of regurgitating this and maybe it's kind of this collective illness that can be healed. I'm just not sure how to heal it. Well, I think that, you know, people are um, familiar with the idea of groupthink. Groupthink is the idea that we go to the most extreme point of view when we're in a group. We tend to, we tend to like go to those extremes. And so there's a lot of kind of groupthink phenomenon going on right now where we yeah. feel like we must identify ourselves in one camp or another. And those camps right now are, are very extreme, quite honestly, yeah. both of them, you know, or all of them, there's more than two, yeah. I guess. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I, I'm not a big political person to begin with. And so I just find it so draining to have to identify in that way and to wind up like, like that's how we're judging each other now. We're not yeah. judging each other on whether we're honest or whether we're good people or whether we're kind to our neighbor. It's all about, you know, where do you fall on this political spectrum? Um, and those, those ideas are very extreme right now. And for you, for somebody who's always seeking peace as one of their core things, it must be incredibly intense. It um, has been, it has been. Yeah. And I've actually, you know, I mean, I don't, I give the same advice to my patients. I really have, you know, withdrawn from the political discourse that I, yes. that I and probably everybody else got caught up in at one point or another. 
Um, but it's so, it, it really, really, really breaks my jam. You know, it really, <laughs> really, really interferes with my piece. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Pam, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. It's I really, I love talking to you, Amanda, and I miss you. I miss seeing you. I miss seeing you as well. Um, for one final question. How are you right now? How, how are you? I am good. I am done with my treatment. I am ramping back up with my practice. Um, I'm exercising every day. I feel good. Um, so I'm very fortunate. I had really great care and uh, I have wonderful support. So I, I, I'm very fortunate and very, awesome. very grateful. Well, I'm thankful that you exist. <laughs> Thank oh, you for doing my podcast. My pleasure. Cheers. <laughs> Amanda made me drink champagne during this. So I did make Pam drink champagne and I promised that I would, but you know what? I am a liar, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you can't count on me, Pam. <laughs> can, just not for that. That's okay. Right. So. For other things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks again. My pleasure. Hey. Thanks for listening. Giant thank you goes out to show advisor, Roseanne Griffiths, the talented musician, Bill Aronson, who wrote, produced, performed the Soulful Connections theme song. And a thank you goes out to Brad Sanders for creating the Soulful Connections logo. Love it. That's new this year. So much gratitude to these guys and to my friends and family who continue to listen and guide me. And once again, to you for listening. I would love to hear from you. Please shoot me an email at soulfullife at gmail.com. That's S-O-L-F-U-L-L-I-F-E at gmail.com.